and adoption, a slave becomes a son or daughter in whom the father delights. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we turn now to your word, as we look to the Apostle Paul and his exposition of the doctrine of adoption, as well as that doctrine being clearly expounded in other portions of Scripture, oh, Father, we ask you to grant us grace and mercy that we would come now to your word, that you'd give us understanding, that we would rest in the realities of this beautiful doctrine that is a part of your saving work in the lives of your people. May we be encouraged. May we be emboldened to live as your sons and daughters in the days to come. Show us that it is because of Christ, the natural son, the eternal son. It is because of him and through him that we have been adopted into the family of God and that we bear the family name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us now turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Just be aware this is a few verses in a very broad context, a beautiful chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. But we'll just focus primarily on these several verses, beginning with verse 14. Now God's word for God's people. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thus far the word of God. You may be seated. The practice of adoption is a very, very personal matter to my family and me. After seminary, we went back to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I served on staff as a pastoral intern. And about six months before leaving Knoxville to come and serve here at Covenant in Arkansas, we had the privilege of beginning the process of adoption of a newborn girl. We actually received this little infant about, about three days after birth and we named her Jessica. The final order of adoption, it took a year for the adoption to be finalized through the courts. The final order declared many things that are precious and beautiful, but declared this, the relationship of parent and child is hereby established just as if said child, said child is our Jessica, had been born to the adoptive parents with all rights and privileges incident thereto. I believe those are legal words, right, JC? <laughs> Including the rights of inheritance. 
Adoption is a very personal thing for Renee and me and our family. It is because of our personal relationship having adopted Jessica. But it's also a very personal matter because as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are adopted. God has adopted us into his family. For every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, adoption should be very, very personal. It's not only very, very personal, but also adoption is central to our identity. The late J.I. Packer wrote in Knowing God these words, the entire Christian life has to be understood in terms of it, that is, adoption. Sonship must be the controlling thought the normative category, if you like, at every point, end quote. So as we continue our sermon series, Saved to the Utter- Uttermost, we come to the doctrine of adoption, this work of God in the order of salvation. You'll find a chart at the bottom of the sermon outline on page 7 that depicts the plan of salvation, the order, the logical ordering of how God works in the saving of his people, beginning with election in eternity past all the way to glorification as we are together as the church triumphant in heaven and the means in between that God has ordained to accomplish his great end in salvation of sinners, elect sinners. And for today, our message will focus on three things that I find in our passage. The meaning of adoption, and we'll look at the benefits of adoption as well as the evidence that God has provided that we are adopted. And so let's begin by first looking at the meaning of adoption. And I'll just simply summarize in this way, the meaning of adoption is this. It means everything to us. As Packer said, sonship should be the controlling thought at every point in our lives. Now let's look to verse 15 of Romans 8. The word that Paul uses translated adoption occurs in only four other passages in the Bible. Two other places in Romans, in Romans 8.23 and Romans 9.4. And then we find this word occurring in Galatians 4 and verse 5 that we'll read in just a bit. And then in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 that we'll also read in time. It's a legal term. It's fundamental understanding is accepting a child as one's own. So in adoption, God accepts children as his own. Stop right there and think about the choices that God had in adoption. The only choices God had in adoption, and I'm speaking in human terms, was to adopt children from the fallen race. 
He adopted sinners is the point I wish to make. The consequence of the fall, way back in Genesis 3, is original sin. Everyone is born with a sin nature. Everyone is born alienated from God. Everyone is born, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, under God's wrath and getting worse. Everyone is born into a family. Have you thought about this? And that family is the kingdom of darkness. And the father of that family is the devil, Satan. Jesus says this in John 8, verse 44. If you do not love me, Jesus said, the one whom the father has sent, you are of the father, the devil. That is the, the lot from which God adopted Sinners who lived in the most undesirable and deplorable family situation that anyone could, could imagine. Sinners who are unworthy even to be in a family like God's family. Infinitely unworthy, wholly undesirable. And yet God adopted his elect sinners to be in his family. This beautiful doctrine embodies the concept that God has graciously brought the sinner from a state of alienation and disinheritance into a status of sonship and being an heir of God through Christ Jesus. And as we look further at the meaning of adoption, we must understand that adoption is an act that God takes. It is an initiative that he takes. A year after receiving Jessica in our family, we were already in Little Rock, and Renee and I, along with Jessica, had to travel back to, to Knoxville, Tennessee. And the whole purpose was to meet with this uh, judge in his chamber and it was just a wonderful meeting with these two young parents with this little girl in this very somber stately looking judge who actually seemed like he was going to break out in tears because he said this is the best thing I do as a judge is to approve an adoption and so he made a declaration that that Jessica was now legally in our family, that she was our daughter, that her status was legally transferred to the Reed family, and her name, her, her legal status was now the daughter of Tim and Renee Reed. That was bestowed upon her. It was an act, it was a declaration it was judicial, it was legal. Our Westminster Confession of Faith puts it like this. In fact, you can take your Red Trinity hymnal and turn to page 872, and you'll find the shorter catechism there. And if you look at the top, question 34, the question is asked, what is adoption? 
And our confession answers that question in this way. Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have all the right and privileges of the sons of God. Think about that. Before Jessica was legally transferred to our family, she had no rights and privileges as a weed. But she was declared legally to have every right and every privilege of being in the Reed family. And we know how massive those rights and privileges are, right? And think about you. Think about, I think about me. Deserving, what I deserve is to have been left in the kingdom of darkness with Satan as my father. Until you come to say that, that that's what you deserve, that's what I deserve, you really cannot get to the depths of God's grace and adoption. I deserve nothing with regards to rights and privileges of being a son of God. But God has declared it so legally, judicially that I am his son, that you are his sons and daughters, and that you have every right, every privilege, get this, as a natural-born son. When God acts in adoption, a child is legally transferred from an alien family. In the case of our adoption by God, from Satan's family, and received into the family of God. A new status is given. Son or daughter of God, that's bestowed on us. At the very core, adoption is about a change in one's family status. And what a glorious change that has taken place when God adopts us into his family. But here's a very significant point. That adoption never stands alone. Adoption is connected with the other aspects, the other parts, the other means through which God has ordained and uses to save sinners. And we see this in the context of Romans 8. So let's look at the entire chapter of Romans 8. We'll not read all of this, though it would be very healthy to do, but I'll just simply refer from verse 1 all the way through verse 14. In fact, just look at verse 14. How does verse 14 begin? Paul uses the word for, and that use of the word for should direct us to go back and ask, okay, what has come before verse 14, specifically Romans 8 verses 1 through 13, where here the Apostle Paul is declaring that for those who have been united to Christ in saving faith, we not only now have no condemnation, but we also have a new life, a new life that is governed by the Spirit. And from, from verse 2 all the way through verse 13, the Apostle Paul explores this new life that is governed 
by the Spirit. So those who are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, verse 14, are all who are led by the Spirit of God, and those who are led by the Spirit of God, look at verse 14, are sons of God, are adopted as sons, verse 15, are children of God, verse 16, are heirs of God, verse 17. You see, the the wonderful redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ that is expounded in verse 1 that results in now a new life by the Spirit, that's the context of Paul dealing with adoption, redemption. Those who are united to Christ in saving faith have the Spirit, and those who are united to Christ in saving faith and have the Spirit are those who are adopted. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul speaks of redemption and its connection to adoption. In fact, in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, the one who is redeemed, inferring justification, that's the context, is the one who is adopted. Justification and adoption are inseparably linked. So we read in Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see the connection there between redemption, justification, and adoption. J.I. Packer is credited with saying this, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, justification, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater adoption. The one adopted is also the one regenerated. We see this in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. We see the link between the the work of God the Holy Spirit in regeneration and the act of God adopting us. So verse 12 of John 1, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but but of God, regeneration. And the one adopted is also the one chosen. Adoption is linked to election in eternity past. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The late D. James Kennedy wrote, adoption is the great end to the doctrine of predestination we are predestined that we would be adopted as children of God the doctrine of adoption means God has saved miserable sinners through the person and work of the natural son the only begotten of the father our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and he has saved them he has effectually called them he has justified them to accept them as his own in his family to adopt them adoption is very personal indeed and second the benefits of adoption we can only scratch the surface of how much we benefit from being numbered among 
the children of God. The order of adoption I read at the beginning states that the also states that the adopted child has all the rights and privileges and benefits of the natural born child, including the parent's maintenance, education, training, and support by the parents. So adopted children benefit so vastly from being in this, legally they are entitled to every benefit of being in that family. As well, our shorter catechism, question 34, speaks of adoption as that adopted child of God having all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. Now, I want to make a brief distinction as we continue in through this study of adoption here. And here's the distinction. It needs to be between Jesus' sonship and our own. Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is equal in power and glory to the Father. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the natural son, his status never changes. His sonship is eternal. He is the only begotten of the Father. Our sonship is by way of adoption. Our sonship is by way of our status changing. Through the redeeming work of Christ, through the redeeming work of the natural son, we enjoy all the rights and privileges, the benefits of being in the family of God as his sons and daughters. And Paul lists some of these benefits for us. And first is receiving the spirit of adoption in verse 15. That spirit of adoption sets us free from our former state. And our former state with Satan as our father was slavery, bondage to sin. And when God adopts us, the benefit of the spirit of adoption, freeing us from being slaves to sin because the spirit of adoption applies the finished work of Christ Jesus to us. And the shackles of sin, bondage to sin, are broken. And we are free in Christ to live as sons and daughters of God. Through the Spirit's work, slaves become sons and daughters. Paul's emphasis is to exhort the sons and daughters of the living God who have received the spirit of adoption to not fall back into that state of slavery again. And we need to see that it is so easy for us as sons and daughters of God to revert back to that old way of living and in effect live as orphans, though we are the sons and daughters of God. And you may be asking, and I hope you are, how can a son and daughter of God revert back to that old slavery to sin type of living and I think the primary way that we live like an orphan and this is a self-imposed orphan status we are the sons and daughters of God through Christ and yet we can revert back to that orphan style of living by basing our relationship with the father not on his grace not led by the spirit not on the fact that he has justified us and he has declared us 
adopted in Christ Jesus, but we begin to base our relationship with the Father on our performance, on our abilities and our efforts to be a good son, to be a good daughter. And just to put a little bit of a biblical flesh on what I'm saying, it is living like the elder brother in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, who based his relationship with the father, not on the father's loving heart, not on the father's love and acceptance of him as his son, but the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son based his relationship with the father on his performance. Father, I have done all this for you. I have been the good son, and yet you did not slaughter a fatted calf for me and throw me a party like you did that that no-good-for-nothing brother of mine who wasted his inheritance, wishing you were dead, by the way, and you received him back and threw him a party? You see, the elder brother based his relationship to the father on his effort, his ability, his performance to be a good son. And we do that probably more than we think. And we need to repent of living like an orphan as a beloved child of God. It's a matter of lack of faith. It's a matter of not living by the Spirit. It is a matter of of trying harder to make God like us more as his child. And the fact of the matter is we cannot make God like us more because he likes us perfectly in Christ Jesus. He can't like us any more than he does in Christ. And for some reason, that is so hard for us to grasp practically because we can very easily try to earn God's favor favor as a son. And the Spirit says, you're free from all that. Don't live like a slave to sin. Don't live like a slave. And living a slave to sin, by the way, is living by performance because we can never do enough to please God. Our best efforts fall way short, right? So it is living like a slave to sin when we try to live like a spiritual orphan. And we need to repent of that. We also see the spirit of adoption enables something else. It enables us to cry out. Abba Father, and Abba is this Aramaic term that was co-opted by children, Jewish children, and they used it as well to address their earthly father. The, The Jews would never use this to address God himself. But interestingly, Abba Father occurs in only two other places in the New Testament. It occurs in Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. Before Jesus went to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And he began his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then we see Abba, Father, used by Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. 
we read verses 4 through 5 earlier, now verse 6. And because you are sons, God has spent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul's use of Abba, Father in Galatians 4, 6 is very similar to his use of Abba, Father in Romans 8. Abba, Father denotes this, this intimacy in the father-child relationship. A trusting son or daughter addressing their loving heavenly father. Some even go as far as, as to interpret Abba Father practically to, me, to be likened to a child saying daddy. Very personal, very intimate, very filial. Paul tells us that we are to pray Abba Father. Being reminded that that a son is coming before his father in prayer. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 26, that the spirit, the spirit of adoption, intercedes for us in prayer, making our prayers acceptable to the father. But the spirit of adoption does, does move us to pray as a son with, with boldness and with trust, praying to our loving heavenly father who seeks our best in every way. We see the significance of praying to our Father, even in the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9. It begins, our Father. The term Abba Father means our relationship with God is not impersonal, but very personal. It is as personal as it Gets Daddy. Abba Father means we have full access to the Father in prayer by the Spirit. And the Spirit guides and empowers us not only in prayer but also to live as a disciple of Christ. We see the we see other benefits of adoption is the fatherly discipline of the of our Father, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Jason read from Psalm 103 and verse 13 in particular, where here God pities his children. He shows compassion to his children. We read in Matthew 6, 30 through 32, that God provides for his children. In Proverbs 14, 26, that the Father protects his children. So many benefits, just to name a few. And then the last benefit, Paul mentions this in verse 17 that we are heirs, we have an inheritance. We are heirs and fellow heirs or co-heirs with the natural son, Christ. Here Paul assures us everything that rightfully belongs to Christ, we share in, even we share in Christ's glory. We will inherit the fulfilled promises of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to show this in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. He ends the chapter saying, nothing is going to separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing is going to take away your inheritance as an heir and co-heir with Christ. The benefit of an inheritance, a guarantee, and then Paul in Ephesians 1 very clearly shows us 
this guarantee when he says in verses 13 through 14, in him you also, that is in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That spirit of adoption is our seal, our guarantee of our inheritance in heaven. And the Holy Spirit witnesses to this inheritance. I want to ask a question. Where would we be if God had not adopted us as his own? I believe contemplating this question promotes gratefulness as we enumerate the benefits of being a child of God. Maybe you've noticed, but in our day, to be privileged seems to be a bad thing. There's this privilege that's bad. There's that privilege that is bad. We need to appreciate the fact that every believer, every person united to Christ in saving faith, everyone who has been justified and adopted, irrespective of economic status, irrespective of social standing, irrespective of race, ethnicity, and every other thing that distinguishes people, we need to understand that every believer is not only privileged, but is of the greatest privilege in all of human history. We are privileged to be, by a legal declaration, the sons and daughters of the living God. And we should rejoice and celebrate being of the most privileged in human history. John Murray says this, adoption is the state, the apex, <laughs> the height of grace and privilege. And I would agree. And then thirdly, the evidence of adoption. God assures us we are his own. I'll be very brief here. The, the doctrine of adoption is evidenced by that inward witness of the Spirit convincing us that we are the children of God. Verse 17. Secondly, the doctrine of adoption is also witnessed by an outward reality, the way in which we live. And specifically what Paul is saying in, in this passage is, our adoption is evidenced by our willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ, to suffer by following Christ. And in fact, in verse 18 and following, he goes on to say in chapter 8, this, he, he continues his theme of suffering by saying that our present suffering will seem insignificant in light of the future glory that we will have in light of that future inheritance. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all com comparison. 
Another way to think about this evidence is what Jesus says. In Matthew 16, 24, he says, my disciples will suffer. Suffering and the Christian life are inseparable. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Suffering for the sake of Christ is part of that evidence, that assurance that we are the sons and daughters of God. And so in conclusion, let me just say that the doctrine of adoption is very personal. It means something personal. God has acted to transfer a child from Satan as father to be in his family and to be his sons and daughters. Adoption has many benefits. And for me, bearing the family name, our confession of sin this morning, we, we confess that we so often sin by not bearing the family name faithfully. We discredit the family name because of our sin. But to me, one of the, this beautiful idea of bearing the family name is very real to me because as a young boy, I remember my father legally adopting me and I took his name. And I remember just how affected I was to be able to say, I'm a Reed. And in a, in a proper way, how proud I was to bear the family name. And we bear the name son and daughter of God. And then think about the fact that God is gracious to provide evidence that we are adopted. And it's not a birth certificate that shows a name change, but the Spirit's witness and the Spirit's enabling grace that we would live up to the family name even in suffering. We all want our parents' approval. <clears throat> in fact, so many adults living today have issues that are traced back to not having their parents' approval. If God's approval of us as his sons and daughters were based on our performance, we really wouldn't have a case because God would have every right to not accept us, to not approve of us if it was based on our performance, if it was based on our record. And I think we know that, that we, we simply have no standing before God in our own record. Just like justification, we stand in Christ's record. That's why we're accepted. We're in adoption. We stand in Christ as well. We stand because of this gracious act of God legally declaring my justified son. He's legally right before the law. Now he, he has a new family. He is in my family legally, and he bears my name. It has little to do with us. It has everything to do with God. Do you get that? <laughs> and it's because of that, that in Christ, we will always be accepted 
and approved as sons and daughters by our Father. Did you get that? Let me say it again. In Christ, we will always be accepted and approved as sons and daughters in Christ by our Heavenly Father. In fact, even more, our Father will delight over us as his children in Christ. And I want to say something today. I, I was told one time by a person that they had a very difficult time understanding God as Father because they had such a terrible father. And I, th that's heartbreaking. And I, I get that. And that may be you. And I'll say this, that if we are united to Christ in saving faith, declared justified, and accepted as sons and daughters of God into his family, accepted by God himself, we will always be accepted and approved. And our Heavenly Father will not only delight over us in Christ Jesus as his sons and daughters, but he will sing over us. This is what I want you to live with, leave with, in the reality of you being a son or daughter in Christ Jesus and your heavenly father relating to you in this way from Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 where the prophet speaks of God saving and restoring Israel and because of God's work of saving and restoring because of God's work of uniting sinners to Christ in saving faith, justifying them and adopting them. The words of Zephaniah apply to us as God's sons and daughters. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That is our identity. In adoption, a slave becomes a son or daughter in whom the Father delights. As we live by the Spirit, we hear our Father sing. Do you hear him sing? Adoption is very personal. And sonship is to be the controlling thought at every point. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have so showered us with your love and your compassion. It is hard for us to understand. But yet, Father, we take you at your word in scripture of your adopting love for us. And we pray, O oh Spirit of Adoption, that you will work such that we would not turn to become orphans, to live like orphans, but that we would live by you, O oh Spirit. Grant us that faith and that enabling grace, and that we would live in the reality of being 
a son and a daughter of the living God, that we would hear our Father sing in delight over his children in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.